This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. How are we doing? Excellent, super. That was uh, that was not not shabby. I appreciate that. Um, anybody attending the South by Southwest festivities of the week? Right on. Perfect. Perfect. It, it's still. I'm still kind of baffled by it. Like I don't understand it. It just kind of overwhelms me um, because it, it doesn't. When I think of events, like a- ACL makes more sense to me, right? Like there's a place you go and there's like one area where the stages are. South by, I just like, oh, it's like here, everywhere. Just go find something. Like, okay, cool. Well, all right. So for me, that, that kind of overwhelms me. Um, it, it's, the, it's the really, it's the known thing called uh, paralysis by, what's it called? Paralysis by decision? Like the analysis? Is that it? The more options you have, you analyze over and then you don't pick anything? Okay, cool. Paralysis by analysis. Thanks. Appreciate you right there. That's what I'm going through for all my answers. Um, so anyway, this has nothing to do with Ephesians. I, it's just, it pops in my head and sometimes it happens. It just, there you go. Ephesians chapter 2, that's where we're going to be. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and head there. I think I'm supposed to stand up here, Mike, for the, for the video, so I'll move, I'll move here. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, I want to read that together. Uh, I'll say this up front. Um, you, you, you've probably heard people describe faith as, as like a bicycle wheel, um, that there's, there's all these different spokes, but in the end, they all end up right in the middle, right? And so I've heard people kind of describe faith that way. Christianity, you know, Islam, Buddhism, uh, Mormonism, you know, take whatever it is, and that's fine, hop on your bicycle spoke, because in the end, it all ends up in the middle, which is not at all true. Um, and, and I think, I think every other world faith would also tell you, well, that's not, that's not accurate, um, there are very distinct differences in, in beliefs. Um, and, and what we're reading today in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, is the fundamental difference between Christianity and every other religion there is on the planet. The fund, like this is the foundational piece of what Christianity is all about. And it centers around grace. So every other religion, you, you have to contribute something to it in order to get to the end goal. You have to bring something to the table, whether it's good works or um, penance or um, abstaining from this or adding that in or whatever it is. You have to bring something to the table in order to get to the end. The difference with Christianity and what we will see today is that we don't bring anything to the table. Jesus brings everything for us. That is the difference that separates Christianity from everything else. And so this, this is a, a huge, huge passage. It's also tough because the the Bible teaches that unless the Spirit of God opens our eyes to see this, it's just going to be words. And and it's not really going to impact and change our lives. I read a commentary this week that that suggested that this is perhaps the the uh, conclusion, the ongoing part of Ephesians 1. So the Bible was never written with chapters and and subtitles and verses. It was just one letter. Um, And and then so later we added these chapters and and headings that that help us make sense of it more. At the same time, it can also do some damage. And we're like, oh, this is like a turn of the corner. And it's not necessarily. It's just one letter. Um, And so one commentator suggested that this is still part of Paul's prayer where he's asking God to open the eyes of the Ephesians to, to allow them to see and to know him, which would make sense because 
if we don't really see this, if we don't really know and trust this, then we miss Christ altogether. We, we absolutely miss Jesus. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 7, that one day when we stand before the Lord, there's going to be people who are rattling off all the things they did in the name of Jesus. We cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. We did all these things in your name, Jesus. And Jesus is going to say, but you didn't know me. I didn't know you. We, didn't, we weren't in a relationship. And so we've got to have God open our eyes to truly see this or we're just going to miss it. We may gain religion, but we're going to miss Jesus. And so I want to ask again, um, as Paul prayed last week and as we prayed throughout the sermon, um, just as a church, would you ask God to open your eyes to see? And, and, and if you're not a Christian, then maybe that's for God to open your eyes to see for the first time what the gospel is and to give you the faith to believe it. And if you've been a Christian for as long as you can remember, we don't graduate from this. It's not like, oh, we believe the gospel and now we move on to bigger and better things. Like, this is the deep end of the pool. Like, this is it. We just know more and more and more of the depths of God's grace, and it changes us more and more and more. Like we've always said, there's no ceiling to knowing Jesus. We're not going to max out and be like, well, I've kind of graduated. I got everything I need to know about Jesus. Like, it's an infinite growth in what we can know in Christ and in the gospel. So it doesn't matter where you are in your journey of faith. This is for us today. We want to ask God to allow us to see it and to know it more deeply. So let's take a second, and, and just in your own words with God, if you're willing, would you ask him, God, will you speak to me and open my eyes to see the gospel and to believe it in faith? Um, and then, then I'll pray and we'll continue on in Ephesians 2. So let's pray together. God, would you cause my heart to believe the truth of the gospel? God, open my eyes to see deeper than I've ever seen before, to see wider than I've ever seen before your love for me, for me. And I pray that for every other person here that, that we would truly see and know your great love for us and that in faith we would follow and love you in response. God, that, that, that is what we are here for. We don't want anything else. So Spirit, speak to us. Remove distractions. Let us hear your voice that we would never be the same because of your presence with us right here and right now. In Christ we ask, amen. So Ephesians 1 was this, um, it's still a chapter that just kind of blows me away. It's, it's just this really incredibly rich um, chapter, right, where, where it says that we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That phrase still, like, I, I, it just baffles me. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Like, I, I can't even begin to fathom what heaven is like. You know, so, so if whoever's gone and, like, made a movie about how heaven's real and they can tell you what it's all about, like, I don't know, I'm a little skeptical, um, because we just don't know. We don't know the, the amazing like, grandness of heaven, and yet every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is given to us in Christ. Like That is unbelievable, right? And so we just see this chapter where God's like, man, I chose you before the, the foundation of the world to the praise of his glorious grace, the riches of his grace, like, like all of these things. And, and that's, what we, that's what our hearts long for. It's, it's Eden. 
It's Genesis 1 and 2 where everything was right. Where, where, where man walked with God, I mean, just in, com- in communion, like right here, like they just walked and talked with God and relationship with each other was perfect. And, and that's what our hearts, we're, we long for this conclusion, for the glorious inheritance that is ours to be had and is guaranteed to us by the Holy Spirit. Like, that's what we want. Every one of us right here, right now, we want Eden. We want freedom of conflict and anxiety and fear and worry. We don't want to worry about the future anymore. We just want it to be done and complete. We don't want there to be this feeling of, of, dang it, something is missing. Something's lacking. We, We want to feel the fullness of life. We want Eden. I was talking to my counselor this week, and I was like, man, I just really want things to be easy right now. Like, I just want there to be something in the wind column. And he was like, you're looking for Eden. I was like, I am looking for Eden. Quit telling me that. I know that, you know? And so he's just like, well, that's, that's not going to happen yet. Like, that's, what, that's why we go into the gospel, so that we can grow in confidence and move towards that. But that's what we want. We want Genesis chapter 1, and in Christ, that promise is coming. So in Jesus, everything that our heart desires, the fullness of everything that is lacking, the brokenness that we want fixed, the insecurities that we want filled, like everything that is lacking in Jesus will be filled one day. But we have to know how to get there. We have to know that it's not, it's not just this universalism where everybody, everybody gets there. What we're longing for, it's, it, it came at a price. And we have to know how we can have that life. So that's where Paul then goes into, is how we, we had that. We have to know what we were missing and how to have that, that faith, that life. There, there's, I've told this story before. I just think it's a perfect um, illustration of, of this I was watching ESPN one day, back in the day, um, and it was a story on Charles Tillman, who, by the way, not only played in the NFL, now is an FBI agent. Like, if I wasn't doing this, that's the life I would want. Um, so he's now an FBI, that has nothing to do with this again, sorry. Charles Tillman, he's a, he's, a, he's a football player for the Chicago Bears. One day during practice, the coach comes and pulls him off, and he says, hey, Charles, you need to go to the hospital, man, it's your daughter, Tiana. And so he has this little girl, I think she was three at the time, and he gets to the hospital, and she's in a bed, and she's hooked up with all these wires and all these monitors, and, and they tell him, hey, Charles, Tiana was born with an enlarged heart. Like she, we didn't know until now, but, but now we know she has, it, she has a bad heart. And bottom line, she needs a new heart or she's going to die. And so they, they put her on the heart transplant list, and then they just wait. Because what can you do? Right? Like, like you can't just fix the heart. She, you know, Tiana can't do anything. Her dad, with all the money in the world, can't just go buy a heart, right? Like, there's, there's nothing you can do but wait. And so they just wait with Tiana, helpless in the bed to do anything on her own. If she doesn't get a new heart, she dies, and there's nothing they can do about it on their own. They're helpless. And, and, and I tell you that because that's the place we have to realize that we were before Christ. Paul says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now, am- now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desire of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
Paul says, hey, to understand the good news of the gospel, you have to understand the bad news, which is that you were dead in your sins. Like, dead in your sins. Not like partially, not, not like the prince's bride, like mostly dead, um, but you were fully dead in your sins before God. Nothing. Nothing. So I, I think we read this and we're like, well, that doesn't make sense because we're all alive. Right? Like, so we, we read that and like, I don't fully get it because I'm alive right now, so what does that mean that I was dead before God in my sins and trespasses? And, and so then what does it mean to be alive? If, if, if he says we were dead, what does... What does that mean? And the thing that we have to know is that there's a difference between physically dead and spiritually dead. There's a difference between physically alive and spiritually alive. So when God created us, we were all created with spirits to live forever. So we all right now will live forever. Every one of us. This physical death will happen, but there's a spiritual life that will live forever. And we're either going to live alive with God or dead apart from God. Those are the only two options for every single one of us. We see that in Genesis 3, right, where God creates Adam and Eve to walk with them, but then they sin. They choose to go their own way. God says, hey, trust and follow me, and they say, that looks pretty good on my own. I'm going to go after my own thing, and the Bible calls that sin, and when that happens, God said, when you sin, when you eat of this fruit, you will die. Well, what's the next thing that happened? It wasn't a physical death. It was a removal from his presence, so they, they take hold of their own way, they do their own thing, and the next thing that happens is God sends them away from his presence, the spiritual death that comes from sin. So they were still physically alive, but spiritually they were separated from God. They were separated from his presence, and that is what Paul is talking about here, is that you are dead in your sins, you are separated from the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, in his presence is the fullness of joy. That's the life we're looking for. Eden, everything that we want, everything that we desire is found in the presence of God. All the brokenness is made right in the presence of God. And Paul's like, you were dead in your sins. You were separated from God. You had no life because of your sin. You chose to walk away from him. And in that, you chose death. And you chose separation from his presence. I think sometimes we, I think a lot of times, honestly, we, we just don't grasp the weight of that. Like, I, I think we think, like, ah, oh, you know, like, I'm, I, I sin sometimes, but I'm ultimately a pretty good person. And the reality is we're, we're sinners that maybe on occasion do something that resembles good. It's not that we're good and on occasion we sin. It's that we are sinners that sometimes do some things that may be good. And we just have to get the weight of what Paul is saying here is that we were dead in our sins. We had nothing to contribute, nothing to offer to God. Nothing, nothing at all. Like I think about things that are dead and they're just not appealing. You, you, you don't want to be around dead things. You don't want them in your life. You don't, because there's nothing attractive. They, they begin to stink. They begin to to not look so great, right? Like there's nothing good about dead and we have to realize that we were dead before God. We had nothing to contribute. Isaiah, he gives a, an incredibly uncomfortable and graphic picture of this for us. I think it's Isaiah 64, if I got, 
I think it's 64. He talks about how, how so often we think that we're, we're good and that we're going to stand before God and kind of present our good things that we, we did to this God because we, we don't really think that we're that bad of people. And he says, all of our good deeds, he says, we've become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds, all of our good things, all the list that we're going to lay out before God and be like, man, I did this and I did this and I did this, all of our righteous things are like a polluted garment before this holy God. Now, the uncomfortableness of this is that the polluted garment that he's talking about here is referring to a menstrual rag of a woman. That is the Hebrew words that he's using. That when we say, hey, God, here's all of my good deeds compared to how good he is, that's what we're presenting to him. Like our best days, that's what we're offering God because he is so exponentially better. He is so much more holy and good. And so we can't come to the table and be like, I, you know, like I know that it says I was dead in my sins and trespasses, but like, I mean, I'm pretty, like, uh, am I dead? Like, am I really, really dead? Like separated from him? And Isaiah's like, yes, you've got nothing good to offer him. And what you think is good is disgusting compared to how good he is. We have to get this. And, and it's not just like, you know, we, like the person next to us. Paul says, you were dead. Like, you. Don't think about the person next to you. Don't think about the plural you. Think about you. You were dead in your sins and trespasses before God, having nothing to contribute on your own following the, the prince of the power of the air that's talking about the devil. Like, we were following the devil. That's who we were in communion with, the devil. Dead in our sins, and God is over here, and we betrayed and walked away from him. By nature, children of wrath, we're born with a bad heart. We're born with the desire to choose self. I mean, come on, y'all. If anybody's gonna get it right, if anybody's going to get it right, it's Adam and Eve. They had no temptations. They had no like, bad friends saying, like, hey, come do this. No, no peer pressure. No experience of sin in the past that they would pull back to. Like They lived in perfection. They walked in the presence of God, and their nature is so corrupt on their own that they still chose themselves. If anybody is going to choose God, it's them. But their nature is so sinful in and of themselves that in the perfect setting, they still chose themselves. We have to know, not, not to beat ourselves up and not to feel shame, but we just have to know the reality of the facts is that we were dead and we had nothing to contribute to God. Nothing that was worthy of his affection. We were dead in our sins in our trespasses, helpless, in need of someone else and something else to come in and to fix what we broke. As much as Tiana laid on that bed and could not fix her own heart is the same condition we are in before God. We cannot fix our own heart. We can't. We absolutely need grace. Have to. And so we start here that we are dead in our sins and trespasses. And then we get verse four. 
but God. Perhaps the two biggest words in the entire scripture. We were dead in our sins. We were helpless. We were, we were done, but God was not. But God had a different story. But God stepped in and moved near to us in love while we were dead in our sins. This is, this is the climax of the story of Scripture. This is the climax of our story. It's this point where we're supposed to feel the weight of our sin. I, I read somebody said that you don't understand grace until you feel the, the noose tighten around your neck and then someone steps in and says, wait, stop, until you feel the weight of sin crushing you and destroying you and someone steps in and says, stop, I'll take it. It makes me think of um, uh, the Hunger Games, of Katniss Everdeen, or is that her name, Everdeen? Right, where, where her little sister gets called forward as tribute, and she's helpless. And in the movie, there's this scene, right, where this, the little girl is just walking forward, and she tries to, to tuck her shirt in and be strong, right, and she, try, she knows that she's walking to her death. She knows that she can't handle what's coming. And there's this silence in the movie, and then you hear, Wait! And the sister steps up in her place to set her free and to go in her place. And Paul wants us to carry that weight and to know that we were dead in our sins and we had no hope, but God stepped in and said, wait, I'll do something here. But God stepped in and moved near in love because he is rich in mercy. He is rich in mercy. The word mercy is, is compassion. It's a compassion towards a helpless person that moves in action. It's this compassion that doesn't want to see it go that way, and so you, you move in action. God is rich in mercy. He has so much mercy for you and for me that he is generous in his love. For, it says, but God who's rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. That God looked at us dead in our sins and still was compassionate for us and moved near to us in incredible love and chose us while we were sinners. I had this thought, and it's kind of, it's kind of disturbing, but I think, it, I think it fits well. We got a cat. Her name's Ginger, middle name Bread. And we just, we're not cat people, well, you know, but it's, it is what it is. It's fine, you know. And so we went to the shelter, and, and we picked out Ginger. And I remember, like, there's just cats everywhere. There's all these cats, and you can pick your cat. And then there's dogs, and you can pick your dog. And so let's say that you're going to get a dog today. Let's go with dog, because dogs are better, right? So you go to the shelter, and you're going to pick out a dog. And you're looking at the dogs, and you see this one. And, he, you know, he's, he's fine, you know, whatever. kind of. And you see this puppy over here, and you're like, oh, I like the puppies, right? And you're just kind of looking at all these different dogs, and you over to this one, and this is laying there. And you're like, oh, okay, like, tired, right? Well, it's not moving. And so you ask the person, like, hey, what's up with this dog? And they're like, oh, that one died a few days ago, right? That's cool, don't worry about it. You know, and, and so who's picking that dog? Like, who's like, I want to adopt the dead dog. That's the one I want. Can I have the dead dog? No. Like, it's, it's stupid to think of. Like, and it's just gross to think about like, oh yeah, I would like to adopt a dead dog and take that dead dog home to my house and make it part of my family. Right? And yet, 
we're the dead dog, and God's like, I want that one. I want that one who has nothing to contribute to me. I want that one who has nothing good to offer to me. I want that one who is laying dead in their sins. I want that one because I'm the God that can make the dead come alive, and I see something incredible in this one, and I'm going and I'm choosing that one. Like, who moves near to a dead object? Who moves near in love to a dead object? And yet we are dead in our sins, and God moves near in love? Are you kidding me? That's, that's un, unbelievable. Unbelievable. What I think is more unbelievable to me in God's mercy and love for us, that he would make us alive even when we were dead in our trespasses. What, what's more amazing to me is that we were dead in our trespasses because we were the ones that betrayed him. It's not just that we happened to be dead. It's that we were dead because we walked away from him. That he created us in love and in selfish arrogance, we spit in his face and we walked away to do our own thing. And the result of that is death. So it's not just that we're dead, it's that we're dead because of our own selfish, arrogant choosing to walk away from God, and still he pursues us in relentless love. You ever had the privilege of actively loving your enemy? Actively giving love and doing good to someone who the world would say, no, that, is, that shouldn't happen. You ever heard about Elizabeth Elliott? Amazing woman who, who spent and gave her life to the Alca tribe in Ecuador. Gave up comforts and security and, and just poured her life out to share Jesus with a people who never heard the gospel. And many trusted Christ and followed in faith. But what's so amazing about Elizabeth giving her life to the Alka people is that those are the same people that murdered her husband years before. That took a spear and shoved it through her husband and killed him. You don't stick around and love people like that unless you know that you are that people who've been loved by God like that. That's the only way you can love people like that. Y'all, this, this changes everything. This changes everything. If God, God, please give us eyes to see that we're dead, and yet you love us, and you move near to us in love to make us alive. And then it, it keeps going. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, we, had, we were lying on the floor, we had nothing to offer. God moves near and makes us alive together with Christ. By grace we have been saved. And he raises us up with him, with Jesus, and seats us with him in the heavenly places. So it's it just keeps going. So I'm dead in my sins because I walked away from God and betrayed him, and yet he moves near to me in love, and he breathes life into me by Jesus to raise me up, and then he gives me the full spiritual blessings that are Christ? How, how does that happen? So he loves his enemy enough to bring him back to, to a place of, of good standing 
And then he continues to pour grace upon us. Like, there is no other God like this. No other God. No other God like this. And the only way that this happens, the only way that we're made alive, is by his sacrifice in our place. Think about Tiana, right? This girl who needs a new heart, she's on a heart transplant list. How does she get a new heart? Only if someone else dies and gives her heart. The only way Tiana lives is if someone else dies. That's it. She can't force it. She can't earn it. She can't buy it. She can't do anything on her own. The only way she lives is if someone else dies. And that's our story. The only way we live is if Christ dies is if he stands in our place and he takes our record of sin upon himself so that we can be forgiven and he dies in our place. And then because he rose from the dead, we get to walk in life with him. We get to live eternally with him. We get the full spiritual blessings of the heavenly places on us. Yo, that, that's just silly. Like it's, it doesn't make sense. There is no other story like this. It, it's crazy. This is the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Have you encountered that grace? Like, I mean, ever? In the first, like, have you ever trusted that grace? Have you, have you received that grace? And then if you have, which I suspect many of you have, what does that grace do to you now? Is it just kind of commonplace, like, oh yeah, the grace of God, amazing grace, how sweet the sound? Is it, is it, or does it still blow you away that the God of this world would move near to you in love, breathe new life into you through Jesus, and then continue to shower on you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places? Has that, has that gripped you and moved you. Have you seen that grace and known that grace? There's nothing like it. Verse 8 says, It's by grace you've been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved. We don't earn it. We don't say Jesus plus my good works, Jesus plus I didn't do that, Jesus plus I'm not that bad, Jesus, it's, it's by grace alone. We never bargained with God for this. Dead people don't bargain, right? Like we're not in dead in our sins. We're like, hey God, what if, what idea, idea, what if you sent Jesus in my place and then, and then he died for me so that my sins could be forgiven and then three days later, how about Jesus rises from the dead so that I can live again? How about that, God? Like, none of us had that conversation with God. None of us brought that to the table. It is his grace alone that he had compassion on us and moved near to us in love. Salvation is not ours, and that is what is different from Christianity and everything else. We don't bring anything to the table. He brings everything. He brings everything. So what do, what do we do? We receive it. We are saved by grace through faith. That's what faith is. 
It's receiving in our lives the free gift of God to make us new. It's, it's grabbing hold of the hand that reached down and did all the work and really kind of grabbed your own fingers and put it around him. It's, it's just receiving everything he has done. And it's not just knowing about God. It's not just believing about God. It's not even believing the facts of Jesus. It's trusting our life to the gospel. One day we're all going to stand before the Lord, every single one of us. We're going to die. There's 100% success that we're going to die. Like that is guaranteed and proven. We will die and stand before the Lord. And he's going to judge us. And if we think we're going to pull out our filthy garments of good deeds and be like, all right, God, here's why I deserve to be a part of your family, we're kidding ourselves. But if we stand there and say, Jesus, Jesus in my place, that's it. He died for me. He lived for me. He died for me. He rose from the dead. I've got nothing to contribute to this. I'm just hoping to follow behind here on Jesus because he did everything. If Jesus is our one answer to God, then we're good. But if we think we're bringing something to the table, we're missing it. It's all Jesus. When I was seven, I saw a, a TV show where someone died in the TV show, and it was the first time for me that death became a reality. And I was like, oh, no. I'm gonna, I might die in a car wreck. Um, what, what then? And, and so I knew at that point I'd been raised in a church. I, I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. And so I knew there was a heaven and a hell, and hell was not good, and heaven was good, and I didn't want to go to hell when I died, so I wanted to go to heaven. And so I, I was like, I, I guess I want to follow Jesus. And so I prayed this prayer that my pastor gave me, and, and I accepted Jesus. But then for the next eight years of my life, I probably prayed that prayer thousands of times. I was just always afraid, like, this is eternity. Like, eternity in heaven or hell. I don't want to get this wrong. So let me make sure I, I confess my sins properly, and I believe in Jesus properly, and I ask him into my heart properly so that I can make sure this is done. I didn't mess up the contract somewhere. Anyone else ever had that feeling? You're like, I need to make sure I get this right. It's a big deal. And then when I was 15, I heard God speak to me in a way that I had never heard before. I mean, it's like this prayer, right, where the eyes of my heart were opened. Like, it was just something completely different, and I realized it doesn't matter about my prayer. It doesn't matter if I said it right. It doesn't matter if I said it in English or in Spanish. It doesn't matter if I signed it. It doesn't matter. Like, that, the prayer doesn't matter. All that matters is that Jesus was perfect, and that he lived the perfect record I was supposed to live. That I was dead in my sins, but Jesus, through the cross, took my sins away and in his resurrection can make me alive. Jesus, that's it. It doesn't matter if I pray some prayer or I walk some aisle. It doesn't matter if I, if I raise my hand or look at the pastor as they're making eye contact with people. Like, none of that matters. If I trust in Jesus alone, I'm saved. And from that point on, I never questioned my faith. Because I learned my faith is not in a prayer. My faith is in Jesus, and he doesn't mess up. I can mess up a prayer all day, every day. Jesus isn't messing up. And if I just hitch my life to him, if I just trust him, I'm good. And so that's the invitation. Do I trust Jesus? Alone, period, done. What about you? Now, I don't know all your stories. I don't know half of them. 
I know that the Bible says we're dead in our sins, and then if I trust the work of Jesus, he'll make me alive. Have you trusted that? Have you submitted your life to that? Put all your eggs in that basket. You can, you can do that right now. Right now. It's, I'm in. I'm trusting Jesus. And if you have trusted Christ, you're remembering the gospel daily of what God has done to make you his son and daughter, to free you from sin, and to give you life. The reason we we struggle with obedience, the reason we struggle to worship, the reason that, that we, you know, that we, we don't want to, to submit to him or, or that it's because we don't fully understand the gospel. There's just more to be known in it. And for whatever reason, we're struggling in the moment to fully believe it and understand it. Man, hard things come. Hard days come. And the reason we doubt and the reason we walk away, the reason we choose ourself is because we've taken our eyes off the truth of the gospel. So I don't know where you are right now, but I know that God wants you to know this truth. I know that God wants you to know and to trust and to believe and that that will change everything. Paul finishes this section by saying we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our good works don't save us but if we are truly saved we will do good works. That's the evidence of genuine faith. Our good works are not going to earn us better favor in Jesus. Gosh, it's unbelievable that God when he forgives me in Jesus doesn't remember my sins. Could he? Yes. He chooses to remove them with Jesus. They were buried once and for all, and God's like, I'm done with those. He looks at us as he sees Jesus. That is astounding, because I know me. I don't look like Jesus. And yet God somehow sees me as Christ? Are you kidding? Like, are you, Think about that for yourself. That God chooses not to remember our sins. That is what moves us to good works. That is what moves us to worship. That is what moves us to love. That is what moves us to give ourselves away. That is what moves us to love our enemies. That is what moves us to follow in the footsteps of Jesus is when we know that he gave us everything. He remembers our sins no more and we're free to follow in good works. This is the gospel. This is what changes everything. I pray that we will grow in the truth of this every day for the rest of our lives because you're never going to max out. You're never going to hit a ceiling in understanding and believing the gospel. There's just so much more. So much more. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.